All right, guys, so I want to spend some time today talking about discipleship with you. It's a topic that we spend a lot of time on. In the summer, there was a Sunday school series on discipleship. It has also come up a number of times as Brother James has preached through John. Many of you have been impacted by people intentionally investing in you. I know that I have. It's the reason why I'm up here. Um, We will talk about my story another day. But I want to start today by asking you guys a question. And you can raise your hand to show me that you are awake. Uh, How many of you have ever been scared to do something? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, I have certainly been scared to do something. James approached me about preaching to you guys in May, and I've been a wreck ever since. But the reality is I wasn't left on my own to do this. He gave me templates. He gave me resources. He showed me things that would help. Uh, Believe it or not, even Nick Watts helped me prepare my sermon today by going through it and making sure (laughs) it made sense. A big shout out to Michael Smith. He helped me keep my illustrations in line. And I would be remiss to mention my wife, Christina. Uh, She is always happy to point out anything that needs improvement in my life. Uh, But my point to you is this. uh, Whatever scary situation that came to mind when I asked you about it, I bet you somebody helped you through that time, just like I was helped through today. I want you to keep that situation in the back of your mind today as you turn your Bibles to Numbers 27, verse 16. And as you get to Numbers 27, verse 16, I'd ask that you uh, turn your attention to the screen for a moment. As the training progressed, the drills became tougher and the speeds faster. One thing was definitely noticeable, confidence and skills were growing as well. By the end of the training, we were slipping between the cones with ease. Backing through cones, we're definitely navigated with extreme precision and speed. All right, so how many of you would like to drive like that one day? How many of you think that your spouse already drives like that? Okay, and so in the law enforcement community, that type of driving is called tactical emergency vehicle operations, okay? They have specialty courses designed to train you in real-life scenarios, and hence the acronym TVOC. All right, when you work for the government, you have to get used to a lot of acronyms. But when you hear me say TVOC today, that's the type of driving that I'm talking about. Now, fortunately, for those of you that might be scared of driving like that, I have one more short video for you to watch.
All right, that gym was from our youth derby that we had over the summer, and thankfully nobody was hurt. But you see, there's a very much difference of TVOC driving and youth derby driving, right? Uh, the reality, however, is that TVOC driving, to skillfully navigate that course, it requires training, testing, and trusting. And, and so does your Christian life, by the way. Um, I've entitled today's message, Skilled Navigation. And through the message, I want you to consider the intentional process of discipleship in your life. You see, if I was to just cut you loose on a TVOC course with no training at all, at a minimum, you would hit a lot of cones. Worst case scenario, you'd flip the car. I've seen both happen, right? But the reality is we're not left alone. And so what we're going to jump into our reading today, Numbers 27, 16 through 17. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community who will go out before them and come back in before them, and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd. Now I know what many of you must be thinking, that this guy is crazy to come up here for his first sermon in front of the church and preach out of numbers. What do these verses have to do with discipleship? And the answer really is everything. And so today, we're going to deep dive these verses, specifically looking at the intentional relationship of Moses and Joshua. Uh, these guys are two very unlikely leaders of Israel. And so I'll give you just some very quick history, and then we'll move on. But Moses was born while Israel was in captivity in Egypt. It was during a time where Pharaoh wanted to avoid any Jewish rebellion, so his plan was to drown all the infant babies, boys. Moses' mother put him in a basket, sent him down river. Pharaoh's daughter picks up the basket and raises Moses as her own. As Moses grows, he realizes how oppressed his people are in Egypt, and through a lot of dramatic circumstances, leaves Egypt. But he comes back as a grown man and he has a mission from the Lord. And that is to deliver God's people, Israel, to the promised land. That delivery occurred in miraculous form, but it wasn't without many, many problems. This prayer that I just read uh, to you in Numbers 27 was, was spoken by Moses 40 years after that exodus started. You see, his leadership of Israel was about to come to an end and be passed on to Joshua. Now, we don't know much about Joshua's background other than that he, too, was born a slave in Egypt. He was uh, the son of a guy named Nun, and that's all we know. He rises up to become Moses' right-hand man. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about Joshua today. But think about it for a moment here, Moses' prayer. Uh, asking God to appoint a man to take over. Why is Moses praying this prayer? First of all, they were in the wilderness for 40 years because of the people's sin. We're also going to get there. But Moses himself was also not allowed to enter the promised land. He had earlier disobeyed God and was not going to be allowed to enter the promised land. But just before this prayer, God said, I will let you see the promised land from a mountaintop and then you will die. No fussing, no arguments, immediately praying for the next man. And that's pretty humbling. 
But to get on with the sermon today, I don't want you thinking that Joshua just materialized out of nowhere as Israel's leader. The first point that I want you to see, especially if you're taking notes, is that skilled navigation requires training. Skilled navigation requires training. Numbers 27, 16 says, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all, appoint a man over the community. Without context, you may think that this appointment was random. This man over the community, this manager of Israel, however, was not random at all. Moses and Joshua spent over 40 years together. And for context, I'm 38 years young. That is a long time to be under somebody's training. And during their 40 years, Moses did in fact train Joshua, and Joshua was trainable. Now, you don't have to keep up here. I'm going to go through five examples of how Joshua received training, and later we're going to circle back and hit one. Okay, so just keep up mentally. No need to flip. Exodus 17, 14, Moses recited God's word to Joshua. Exodus 18, 13, Moses judged Israel in the presence of Joshua. Exodus 24, 13, Moses receives the Ten Commandments. Joshua was there. Exodus 32, 19, Moses smashes the tablets in anger when the people resorted to idolatry. Joshua was there. Exodus 33, 11, Moses spoke with the Lord. Joshua was there. You see, he wasn't left to his own devices to figure out leading Israel. And neither are we in this Christian life. If we think about this skill of TVOC that you just watched on the screen, this law enforcement driving, it is a skill that I was taught and learned in my 16 years of law enforcement. Thankfully, I was not left to my own devices to figure that out. Imagine sitting in that car for the first time in front of thousands of cones or whatever. That happened to me in 2007. And I can still vividly remember everything about that raggedy, smelly 1999 Crown Vic with what I thought was no brakes. You see, I was scared to death that I would flip that car over. But our instructors started us easy and slow Small turns led to bigger turns. Competency grew. The instructors were tasked with training us, and we were tasked with being trainable. And did you know that Christians have that same task? 1 Timothy 4, 7-8 says this, But have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. For the training of the body has limited benefit, but godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Christians ought to be trainable, is my point. And while we don't have time today to dive into the specific context of this Timothy verse, Paul's point was clear to him. Be trained in godliness. So let's look at one of the training examples I read to you uh, from Joshua's time with Moses. In Exodus 7, 17, 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Melech under heaven. You see, this verse right here to be recited to Joshua was immediately following one of his biggest military victories. 
It's arguably one of the most iconic battles in Old Testament history where Joshua and the Israelites are down below. Moses is on a hill above. Aaron and her are helping Moses to keep his hands up and extended until sunset. And when Moses' hands are up, Israel's prevailing. When Moses' hands drop down, Israel starts to be defeated. And you know, it's interesting that the Bible ends that battle by saying, so Joshua defeated Amalek with the sword. The reality, however, is that God defeated his enemy. He used the obedience of Moses and Joshua to do so. And then he saw it fit for Joshua to be reminded of that every day through the recitement of that verse. You can't even really begin to unpack the training that must have taken place, not only from the battle itself, having to rely on someone's hands being up, but then to be reminded every day that it was the Lord's victory. Uh, Training and reciting are, are no doubt good, but they count for very little until you apply them. And so the second point that I want you to hear today is that skilled navigation requires testing. Skilled navigation requires testing. Numbers 27, 17 says this, who will go out before them and come back in before them. Without context here, you may get the false impression that Joshua was suddenly going to start coming out and going in before the people. This sense of going out and coming in, it gives the picture of what? Leading. Joshua was no stranger to leading. During his 40 years with Moses, he had plenty of opportunities, and he was ready to endure the tests of leadership. Again, we're going to just real quick hit five points where he was tested. We will come back to one again, so no need to flip. Exodus 17.9, Joshua and his men did fight, uh, fight the Amalekites that we just reviewed. Numbers 11.28, Joshua wanted to rebuke two men who were speaking against Moses, but Moses would not let him. Numbers 13, 16, Joshua is selected as one of the 12 spies of the promised land. In Numbers 14, 6, he is one of only two positive reports from those spies. And then in Numbers 27, he wanders in the wilderness with Israel for 40 years. You see, Joshua faced many difficult tests, but he knew what to do. So if we go back to the Tevok analogy that you watched earlier, those testing days are some of the most nerve-wracking that you will face in law enforcement. You pass the test, and you continue with training and hopefully graduate. You fail the test, and you go home unemployed. What a deal, right? What a deal. In 2007, I had failed every single practice test on the TVOC course for a one-week straight. And on testing day, I woke up early and I packed my bags to go home because I knew what was going to happen. So we go out for the test, and the instructor said, guys, before you get in the cars, we want to reassure you of something. This is how you take this test. You've trained for it for weeks. You are ready. And we are going to show you that you are ready by driving it ourselves. So they drove the course in front of us by themselves and they passed. 
And we all remembered that. I remembered that as I got into that musty Crown Vic, buckled my seatbelt, said a lot of prayers, and started driving. But you know what? I passed the test the first time in record time. You see, my instructors, they were tasked with testing me, but I was tasked with enduring the test. And Christians have that same task. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. There's great joys in testing, this endurance that leads to maturity, no doubt. But you may be tempted to underestimate one of Joshua's biggest tests, his wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't underestimate that. You see, here's a man who was nobody, selected to be a spy in the promised land. For Moses, the Bible says, is the Lord's servant. He's selected to go into enemy territory with 11 other people and bring back a report. And those 12 spies, they went into the promised land and they saw nothing but fortified cities. And they saw giant men and they were terrified. Ten of the spies came back with negative reports. They struck fear in the heart of the people and said that we're like grasshoppers compared to them. We can't do it. Joshua and Caleb, however, were faithful. They brought a positive report. And they said, God's got us. We need to obey him. Let's go. They were almost stoned for that, you know. But can you imagine not only the testing of actually being the spy and going and doing that, having the boldness to come back and speak against ten of your peers to encourage people to obey God, but then the testing of God's response. Imagine for a moment that you're Joshua and you hear God say this. Numbers 14, 30 through 33. I swear that none of you will enter the land I promised to settle you in except Caleb and Joshua. I will bring your children, whom you said would become plunder, into the land you rejected, and they will enjoy it. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and bear the penalty for your acts of unfaithfulness until all your corpses lie scattered in the wilderness. So good news, Joshua gets to go to the promised land. Bad news, he has to wait 40 years because Israel's a bunch of knuckleheads. And so if I'm Joshua, and I would bet to say if you're Joshua, you're like, God, time out. I did what you asked me to do. I followed, can I just go over No, No? I have to wait 40 years with them? And can you imagine every day for 40 years being reminded that you have to suffer with your people? The testing that that must have put on his life training and testing are no doubt good things but they all run their course when it's your turn and so the third thing that I want you to see today is that skilled navigation requires trusting skilled navigation requires trusting numbers 27 verse 17 continues by saying and who will bring them out and bring them in so that the Lord's community won't be like sheep without a shepherd 
Without context here, you may feel like Joshua was just automatically charged with bringing the people out and in. This bringing the people out and bringing the people in, it paints a picture of guiding Israel. But Joshua wasn't new to guiding Israel. He had helped Moses do it for 40 years. And now as Moses is dying, it's Joshua's turn to guide Israel by himself. You'll see later, of course, he's not alone. But let's look at Moses' prayer. It's the ultimate expression of trust in Joshua. But it was up to Joshua to be trustable. And so for the last time, we're going to hit five examples of how Joshua was trustable, and we're going to come back to one. So no need to flip in your Bibles here. All of these are in the book of Joshua. Chapter 1, verse 13. He prepares and encourages a mourning Israel to go into the promised land. Chapter 4, verse 8, he remembers the Lord when he gets there. Chapter 6, verse 22, he honors his word to the prostitute Rahab who helped Israel get into their position. Chapter 7, 19, Joshua judges an unrighteous friend and no doubt what was very, very difficult for him to do. 11, 23, he actually takes the promised land by military conquest. And so if we go back to the Tevok analogy for, for one final time here, my instructors, through their training and testing of me, had equipped me for a major responsibility, which is driving a law enforcement vehicle in life or death situations. Whether that's chasing someone, whether that's responding to somebody in danger, whether that's evading something, those Driving scenarios have real-life implications, and I was to be trusted with that responsibility. Thank God uh, I'm in one piece now, 16 years later, right? A couple wrecks, but nothing, uh, nothing terrible, and nobody died. So that is the point of the training in their mind. And so you see my instructors, their job was done, and it was on me to be trustable at that point. Do you know that Christians have the same task? Uh, Luke 6.40 says this, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. You see, Christians ought to be trustable. Israel trusted Moses, and at this juncture in their history, they definitely needed to trust Joshua. If we look at the trusting examples that I gave you for Joshua, I want to spend some time on his military conquests. Uh, and, and let's just think in our mind here what would happen if Joshua was not a trustable person. Uh, 11 through 23, so Joshua took the entire land in keeping with all that the Lord had told Moses. Joshua then gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. This verse right here is preceded with page after page of military conquest by Joshua and his ragtag group of exiles with very limited military resources. Thirteen battles, in fact, it took. That's a lot of fighting. That's a lot of relying on the Lord. That's a lot of grit. And if Joshua had not been trustable, he would have relied on himself to fight those battles. Israel would have lost those battles and then been decimated. What was the point of the Exodus? To rely on the Lord. 
And so I want you to go back to that scary situation that I asked you to think about at the beginning of this message and think about what that was in your life and how you handled it. It may not have been as daunting as Joshua leading Israel to the promised land, but I hope that you can see now, just like Joshua, how you were trained, tested, and trusted to skillfully navigate that situation. We've spent a lot of time today talking about Moses and Joshua and how they were skilled navigators of Israel and how Christians today ought to mimic their uh, discipleship pattern of training, testing, and trusting. And while that's true, we definitely should model those things I want to talk to you now for a few minutes about why you should even care about that. And you see, you may have heard, uh, you may have actually heard it phrased from up here before as so what? And I really like that because we talked about a lot of great things, but what does it mean for us today? We're not Israel going into the promised land. And so let's spend some time on the first point of training. First and foremost, being trainable as a Christian requires you to be a Christian to begin with. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, we earn hell by our sins, but Jesus gives us heaven because of what he did on the cross. And if we were just to leave today not talking about any of this, it's just a self-help lecture. And it's probably not even a good one. But when you believe the truths that we just read in Romans, it opens you up to be trainable by God, by those he places in your life. You see, today's message is not about how great of men Moses and Joshua were. It's about their recognition of how great God was and is. They knew that and they submitted to him every day. Can you say the same for your life? Are you trainable as a Christian? If we move on to testing, being testable as a Christian requires you to acknowledge God as the source of everything. You see, the most common lie that people believe today is that they're responsible for everything. But we're not. Jesus himself says this in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, and I am him, produces much fruit. Because you can do nothing without me. And when you understand that biblical truth and you're tested by it day in and day out, God produces in you an endurance that nobody around you will understand. So today is not a message about how accomplished Moses and Joshua were. It's about what God accomplished and what he promised to accomplish in the future. Moses and Joshua understood this and they submitted to the testing of it in their lives. As hard as it was, can you say the same for your life? Are you testable as a Christian? And then lastly, we spend some time on the trusting piece. 
Being trustable as a Christian requires you to understand the most important mission of your life. That mission has nothing to do with your job, nothing to do with your accomplishments, and nothing to do with your possessions. Again, Jesus here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. When you understand and live out that biblical truth, it puts you in a position to be trustable every day with sharing the love of Jesus Christ to those around you. But just how Moses and Joshua were not alone, you are not alone. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this message today is not about how influential Moses and Joshua were to Israel. It's about how they faithfully pointed Israel to God in all situations over and over again. They understood the assignment and they were trustable with it. So can you say the same for your life? Are you trustable as a Christian? You know, here in a moment, uh, we're going to start to wrap up our service and we're going to pray for the new year ahead. Many of you have New Year's resolutions. Many of you have goals for improvement in any variety of areas in your life. You know, I don't want to sound ugly or mean, but I do not care how many books you read in 2024 or how often you go to the gym or what diet you decide to take. All of those things are great, right? But if we flip back to that Timothy verse here, Paul reminds Timothy that all of those things may be good, but they're not the ultimate purpose for our life. And so I would challenge you today in considering the example of Moses and Joshua, what does intentional discipleship look like in your life? Who is discipling you to be more like Christ? And who are you discipling to be more like Christ? While the worship team comes up, I would ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Maybe you're here today and you realize uh, you need a relationship with Jesus before you could ever even begin the discipleship process in your life. We talk about it every week here, but that relationship as easy as admitting that you're a sinner, believing that Christ came, lived the perfect life for you, died for you, and confessing him as your risen Lord and Savior. If you need to make that decision today, after we pray, there will be some spiritual leaders up front. I'd encourage you to come and talk with one of them about making that decision. Come talk to me, whatever. Maybe you're here today and recognize that you need discipleship in your life. It's not going to be easy, but God is certainly going to equip you for that. And after we pray today, I would encourage you Come talk to one of these leaders and hear about the many opportunities our church has for discipleship. Through Sunday school, through midweek, through service opportunities. 
Maybe you're here today and you recognize that you need to be discipling someone else. And you haven't done that. Take a moment this morning and ask God to forgive that disobedience. Discipleship is a clear command in the Bible, folks. After we pray today, I'd encourage you, come talk to one of our leaders about how you can become more engaged with discipleship. You know, a shameless plug here, I'm in student and young adult ministry. The list is long of people that need you. Come talk to us. Maybe the holidays are hard for you. You have some loss. You have some sickness. Maybe you need some prayer. Maybe you just want to join our church. Whatever it is that's on your heart right now, I would just give you a minute to give it to the Lord. And after that minute's over, I'll say a prayer and I'll say amen. And we invite you to come forward and speak to our spiritual leaders about whatever it is that God has put on your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your example of Moses and Joshua in the Bible. And as we learn today about how they trained, tested, and trusted one another and others, may we apply those principles to our life. May our 2024 not be filled with things that don't matter, Lord. May they be filled with pursuing you and encouraging others to pursue you. I pray that if people in this room need to make a decision today, that they would have the boldness to do so. In Jesus' name. Amen.